this place is full of light and darkness cannot abide. But out there, the darkness in the unseen realm is trembling like leaves in the wind on trees because of us. Isn't that glorious? It's absolutely glorious to consider and recognize the truth of that. That because of us, the people of God and the work of God done in us, outside there, darkness is trembling at the potential that there is in the children of God. And if, I, if that's all I had to say, that might be enough. It isn't. <laughs> but I just, you know, I was singing that and it came across my heart and I thought I must share that with you because you can go out of this place today with all sorts of feelings and aspirations and desires, but wherever your foot treads, it's a bit like kids with those Nike trainers that have a light that every time they tread, it lights. Everywhere you go, there is a light that is shining and the darkness like water is vanishing away from you to enable you to be a kingdom person and to do a kingdom job and with kingdom power. Now that has got a little bit to do with my subject, uh, but not a lot. I'm honored, really honored today to be ministering to you. It's a privilege to be able to minister to you, my family in God for the last 52 years. And I really appreciate the opportunity of being able to share with you. My style of ministry could be considered a bit unusual, um, a bit out there, maybe meeting Yuri Gagarin on the way back from his flight. It's a little odd, it's a little strange, it's a little unusual, but you know there was a guy called Philip Brooks who once said that preaching is communication of truth through personality. And I just hope today that God, by the Holy Spirit, takes something that I say and I share with you. And that will be a truth that finds its place within your heart. And as has already been prayed, will bring forth a hundredfold in fruit for God. And so I hope you'll allow me a little indulgence. Most of you have known me for a number of years so you know who I am, what I am, where I come from, what I'm like. You know my idiosyncrasies, and you still love me. And isn't that amazing? <laughs> so I hope you'll allow me some indulgence as I minister to you. You are a remarkable group of God's people. Just recognizing the time. You're a remarkable group of God's people, and I'm really proud to be one of you. And as I look around here today, I can see that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has written wondrous and beautiful stories in each one of you. Let's encourage one another. Just stand or turn to the person who's next to you and just say to them, I can see in you a beautiful and wondrous story that has been written in your life. Don't be shy. That's wonderful. We don't want to make it a war and peace story, not just at the moment, 
because of time. But I hope that's encouraged you because that's exactly what God has done. He has made us a living, breathing story. When we go out into the world of his grace and of his salvation and of his forgiveness and of his power at work within our lives. I have central to my DNA and it's God's calling upon my life to evangelism and mission. And that's our topic today, the hallmarks of mission. It started back in 1969 and I was on the back of a Navy coach coming from Smarden from a harvest festival back to Tunbridge. And on the back of the coach, God spoke very clearly to me. And he said to me, Albert, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And that was it. The blue touch paper had been lit. The DNA had been planted. And from that moment onwards, everything was centered upon that. And Doreen will be able to say that I would roam the streets following that call with my big Bible in hand, out just to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus. And you know, that DNA has remained until this day. It was latterly confirmed by a prophet called Tom Woods. Most of you won't ever have heard of him, but we old stagers will have. Tom Woods was a recognized prophet with the Assemblies of God, and I was just in Glad Tidings Hall in the flat with Colin, and we were just sat there having a meal, and Tom Woods was there, and he didn't know me from Adam. Mind you, he didn't know Adam either, <laughs> but he didn't know me either. And we were just sat there having a cup of coffee, and out of the blue, he said to me, Albert, you have got to fulfill the call to evangelism that God has planted in you, and this is the work you've got to do. And that really confirmed to me what God had called me to do. So right here... At the outset, I'm going to make no apologies when I say I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Are you up for that? Some of you. Are you up for that? I want you to encourage me. You know, I can preach maybe to 1,000 or 12,000 people and have no qualms at all. But preaching at your home crowd... I tell you, that's hard work. And I said to Stuart this morning, Stuart, I'm really nervous. And I was singing that song about the Lord taking away fear. So encourage me, will you? Be vocal. <laughs> and let me know that you're still alive and you're still awake. So I'm going to challenge you and it will be a challenge, and I'm going to encourage you. And so you're up for that, aren't you? Amen. Hallelujah. What's the heartbeat of a preacher? It's to bring Jesus to the forefront. It's their role to, enjoy, to ensure that Jesus steps out in the front and is seen afresh. My desire is that when we go out of this place today, we will go out with a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that is your prayer as well as mine. And in fact... A bit of liberty here again, an indulgence, but maybe on the left here. I wonder if you're willing to declare, Jesus, step out in front from the word today. You're meant to say that. <laughs> I'm glad you're nodding your heads, but you're meant to say it. 
So after me, Jesus, stand out in front today as we listen to your word. Good. I'm sure the ones on the right are going to be so much, much better than you. So on the right here, let's hear you say it. Jesus, oh, even better still. Jesus, stand out in front as we listen to the word today. Okay. Right. Now, can you do better than both sides? Right. Here you go then. Jesus. Wow. Stand out in front as we listen to the word today. Oh, you're far better. But we're going to say it all together. I hope we can say it all together and make it our prayer. It's our aspiration that that will truly be the case. So let's all together say it. Jesus, stand out in the midst today as we listen to your word. God, make that true of us today. Our series is on the hallmarks of the church. And we've heard of faith, hope, love, and the sufficiency of scripture from Ufuk here. And we've heard about the Holy Spirit from James. And it's my task to bring the last one in the series on the hallmark of mission and evangelism. A hallmark is made up of differing components. And all we have heard so far are the components that form the validity of the most fundamental and authenticating hallmark of mission and evangelism. Just as a reminder, what is a hallmark? It's been defined as a distinctive characteristic of something or someone that can mean a literal symbol on the bottom of a piece of pottery or just a rock star's hairstyle. Some products, they've got hallmarks on them indicating their creator or their origin. Sometimes, though, it can be to describe a unique attribute, a special style, or a typical feature, such as a basketball player could say that coming to practice early is the hallmark of their success. A business could say their commitment to customer service is their hallmark of success. And you could definitely say that Elvis Presley's swiveling hips and his voice when he was on stage was a hallmark of his success. Having said that, though, having said that, when it comes to the church, there is a significant and major problem that the church faces today. What is it? I ask, we ask, and it is an increasing removal of that original hallmarking. Again, what do I mean by that? Well, we live in a generation when the general tendency is to have a vanilla proclamation of God's word aimed at providing ministry and especially gospel messages that will offend no one and has in many places traded the genuine hallmark for a counterfeit one. Romans 1.16 tells us this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The truth is that in many places, and it's clearly seen when you go onto the internet, that the truth of the gospel has been diluted. The gospel is the heartbeat 
the very pulse of mission and evangelism. And yet we see in many places a gospel that preaches salvation without the blood, a gospel that preaches Christ without the cross, a gospel that preaches salvation without sanctification, a gospel that preaches decisions without discipleship, a gospel that preaches love without lordship, a gospel that preaches prosperity without purpose, a gospel that preaches blessing without birthright responsibilities being outworked, and a gospel that preaches revival without reformation. All perhaps in a sincere desire to be understood, to be accepted, and to be relevant. But let me say to us today, and I say it to me as I say it to you also, with all sincerity that relevance and understanding are both very, very important, and they have their place. But they have to be balanced, or we'll lose the truth. The, tr the church that marries the spirit of its age will more than likely be widowed in the next. Shall I say that again? It takes a little bit of taking in. The church that marries the spirit of its age will more than likely be widowed in the next. And it was John Wesley who once said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Preaching, teaching, ministry of any sort, it's not a spectator sport. It was never intended to be. It never was meant to be a source of spiritual entertainment. We can sit and watch, yeah, sure. We can sit back week after week, Sunday after Sunday, just listening. And it's like water washing over us. But that's not the point. Ministry of any sort, and especially preaching, has at its heart engagement. It's a conversation that's entered into between two or more parties. In the final analysis, truly, you'll get from it what you bring to it. And that's really how it works. You get from it what you bring to it. And I hope that I am able now and am doing so, keeping your attention. However, what I do know is that God's word commands our attention. Why? Because it will grip our souls. It will grip our thinking. It will eventually grip our motivation in a way that even the greatest of preachers and Bible teachers cannot do. God's word, what is it? It's a living force. God's word is powerful. God's word is uncontrollable. God's word is creative. God's word, it's healing. And it's immensely transforming. And so is the practical mission of going that God has called us to fulfill. In fact, God's word is, the form, is a form that overall working has been seen in the manifestation of Jesus. And that was God's mission. How many of you have got your Bible with you in one form or another? Okay. Well, you're lifting them up already. And I was going to ask you to lift them up. Go on, don't be shy. Lift your Bibles high in the air. Good. Hallelujah. Yeah, on the phone, don't matter where it is. Yeah, and if you haven't got your Bibles with you, but you've just read it all and memorized it all, well, then you can stand up. 
And that would be great. Ah, oh, good, Alan did. Because <laughs> I want to say to you right now that right before your eyes and in your hands, you have the full revelation of God's heart, the full revelation of God's purpose, and the full revelation of his mission to the world. My topic, as I said, is the hallmark of mission and evangelism. And, you know, I could present you with loads of facts, loads of figures, loads of ideas of what's happened, but they unfortunately have a short-term effect and invariably are like a placebo that we take. They just jeers up for a moment and then they're gone like the mist on a window or a windscreen. You know, mission and evangelism are buzzwords in the church. However, they conjure up different emotions. Mission is like the phrase, healthy living. And who could possibly object to that, right? We all love healthy living, don't we? Yeah, some of you do, and some of you just like to veg out on pork pies like me. That's why I've grown my investment. And my tie doesn't sit straight. Because of the investment that I've made. The result is, though, that the idea of mission is championed by all church organizations. How many of you here today go to a gym? Ah, much fewer. Okay. Or have adopted a healthy eating style? Ah, a few more of you. You like to sit and eat healthily rather than go out and exercise for the purpose. That's fine. It's an ideal readily endorsed, although outworked in different ways. It's also an ideal, however, that is mission, that like exercise and healthy eating can lose its momentum very quickly. Evangelism, however is seen not as healthy living, it's more akin to long-distance running. It's seen by many as a punishing option for the super keen. So we say, God bless the super keen. God bless the revivalist. God bless the evangelist or Christian extrovert and all those kind of people. Safe in the knowledge that mission is surely broader than in your face, witnessing and preaching and all that type of thing. However, there are some fundamental problems with this way of thinking. In particular, mission can be seen too broadly and evangelism too narrowly. But I want to tell you today that it's my opinion that we need to be more focused on an understanding of mission because it will invariably entail the exclusion of other agendas but at the same time retain a broader vision for evangelism. And what will it entail? I'll tell you. Yeah, it's up there. No, it isn't. All the church in all of life's activities proclaiming the gospel as we go. And Jesus calls us all. Jesus calls us all to go. Our text in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 that Jesus spoke of talked about him having full authority in heaven and on earth and how he 
said to the church to come and also the church now that we were to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, we, we found a subtle change to that. Sorry, I'm keeping an eye on the time. We found a subtle change to that a few years back where everything was emphasized that it should be a one-to-one, a one-to-one, a one-to-one. Forgetting that Jesus is talking about nations, not just individuals. And our Muslim friends, they have hooked onto this. And they make disciples of nations. And nations follow the teaching of Islam. And we have fallen back from that of thinking that we need to make disciples of nations and leaving it to the individual person that we might come. The individual person is still important. But don't let's lose the focus of the broader picture that we are called to make disciples of the nations. And you'd expect me to be preaching on that text, wouldn't you? Would any preacher not use that text if they were preaching on evangelism and mission? There are several reasons why. There are four of them, and I'm going to touch on two. Why? Because it's the divine foundational commission issued to every individual who says they are a Christian. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Number two, because it provides the divine framework of mission and evangelism issued to the church. Three, because it conveys the divine heart and thinking of Christ's mission and motivation for those he died to save. And fourthly, because it reveals the divine obligation of God's mission upon his people. So what is mission? I'm not asking you to tell me because I'm going to tell you. But rhetorically, what is mission? It's mission deo, theologically put. Just a Latin word meaning the sending of God. And it's an expression of the very nature of God. He sends his son and now he sends us. What does Jesus say in John 20, 21 and 22? As the father sent me, so I am sending you. Very plain, very clear. There's no ambiguity in that. Father sent him and he is sending us. And that sending hasn't stopped and didn't stop when Jesus went back to heaven. We can easily think that mission has its origin in human enthusiasm to share God's love. However, it's not the keen evangelist who gets the ball rolling or a few Christian enthusiasts. No, we are not the initiators of mission and evangelism. We are simply the spectators. We are the beneficiaries and Wonderfully, by the grace of God, and this is phenomenal, wonderfully, by the grace of God, he has made us his hand, his mighty right hand, in the bringing of the gospel, which is the very power of God unto salvation. We often say our mission or my mission activities, but what we forget is that it's his mission. Even before God said, let it be, at the time of creation, right back at that time, the Godhead were involved in the mission of salvation, knowing what was ahead for mankind. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved within it. And we, the church, are the instruments of God through which their mission is outworked. A mission doesn't start and end with us. It starts and ends with God. A mission is not what we do. It's what we are. Get that in your heart, I hope. Mission is not what we do. It's simply, paraphrasing, it's simply an outworking of what we are. And if mission and his heart of mission has gripped our hearts, then we will all be evangelists. We will all talk about Jesus. We will all share the gospel. And it will become as natural as breathing in and breathing out. Why as the church are we here today, I ask rhetorically, but I'm going to ask. Doreen. As the church sat here today, why are we here? Our pride to worship God is the main theme of being here, to encourage one another. To then we go out to be a blessing, to take the word of God to others. Anything else? <laughs> Andy, tell me, as the church, why are we here on the earth? Um, we're here for others. We're here to reach out to other people to make a difference. Good. Thank you. Does anybody else want to volunteer as these two volunteers? <laughs> Peter. Sorry, I've woken him. <laughs> Why are we here? We're here to show Jesus Perfect. to the world. Good. Thank you. James. I just said to Sharon, I get, get, better get picked on. <laughs> I've heard it said that Christianity is the only club in the world that is in existence for, the, for other people. Not for the people inside, but for the people outside. Today, it is to, to worship God as a, as a family, um, but ultimately to take the word to other people. Thank you. So all of those answers were absolutely correct, and um, they encompass so much, and they're absolutely right as to why the church is here. But fundamentally, over and above everything, because worship is what we do because of what Jesus has done for us, we are here on the earth, still here, not taken to glory, to fulfill the commission of Christ, to take the word of God into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And I tell you, today, you could typify my heart like a peapod. And it's got three P's in it. P number one is called consumed. P number two is called constrained. And P number three is called captivated. 
And I tell you today, I'm consumed and constrained and I'm captivated with the desire to see God's people arising afresh with a new vision and a new zeal and a new fire to bring the gospel to people all around about them and to share the gospel with a needy world. You see, Christ doesn't call us the church. To re- the church rather hasn't been called by Jesus and received a mission from a needy Christ. He isn't needy at all. Christ isn't looking for us to finish the job. Absolutely not. He's done it all. Hallelujah. And that's why you stand or sit here today in your salvation. He's done it absolutely all. No, the truth is that really by his death and resurrection, he did everything that was needing to be done. It's for this reason that we are declared to be his witnesses. And witnesses that are powerful. Well, I'm glad about that. In Acts 1 and 8, it says that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For what purpose? Speak up. To be witnesses. Absolutely. That is the whole purpose of the Spirit of God coming upon us. That we might be witnesses wherever of the power of God and of the gospel. And we are a witnessing community. We are not a reforming task force. Our calling today is not to bring redemption to the world. That's already been done. Now our mission task is to declare Christ as the Savior, the Redeemer, the coming King, and to live out that kingdom authority that has been birthed in us everywhere we go. In mission and accompanying evangelism, for they're like Siamese twins, we see Jesus saving from eternal hell. We see Jesus saving both souls and lives out of destructive lifestyles. Just last week, just last week we had a testimony, didn't we, of a guy who had been delivered from drugs and free for 12 months. That's the gospel at work. Hallelujah. And who could tell so many stories in our own lives of how the gospel has liberated us? We see Jesus as the coming king bringing new hope to our lives. And the Bible says, encourage one another with these words. We see Jesus enabling us to live free, for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We see Jesus who has placed his kingdom within us, providing the ability to live out that kingdom authority wherever we go. And he is simply reaching out. And if this was a baton, and I meant to try and get one, but pretend in your imagination that this is a baton, not a... Vita Coco Coconut Water. (laughs) Pretend that this is a baton. And Jesus today is simply reaching out his hand and saying, Church, will you afresh take my baton? Will you take it and will you go out into the world as my witnesses with the power that I've given you? So what is the divine framework for our evangelism? It's harvesting. It's his mission. Jesus in Matthew 9.37 said, The harvest is plenteous. It was in his day. It was in all the generations that followed him. And right now as we sit here, the harvest is white and is plenteous. In his three years of ministry, he saw multitudes coming to him. But in his mind's eye, he saw something even greater. He looked out throughout the 
eons of time, and he saw multitudes stretched out throughout the nations, and the whole world, and all generations hearing the message of the gospel, and being set free by that very power. He saw in his mind's eye your neighbor. He saw in his mind's eye your work colleague. He saw in his mind's eye your family member. He saw in his mind's eye your friend. And yes, he even saw your enemies in his heart and in his vision and in his mind. The world in its entirety was a harvest field, white and ready to be harvested, and still is. Let me encourage you today that right before all time was and there was just God, he saw you. Well, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled that he saw me before there was anything. God in that timeless past saw Albert. He saw Doreen. He saw Pam. He saw all of us who are sat here today in his heart and in his mind. And his whole mission was to bring you to a place of birth in Christ where you could become part of that family. You know, those words that are spoken um, by Jesus to the Father when he says, Father, I thank you for those that you have given me. You know, he was talking about you. Hallelujah. He was talking about you when he said those words 2,000 years ago. He was talking about you, saying, thank you, Father, for those that you have given to me. But he also saw multitudes who faced the inevitability of judgment. He also saw the multitudes who fell or who faced the inevitability of coming doom. He also saw the multitudes who faced the inevitability and the inexorable moving towards hell. So again, the question arises, church, why are we here today? And the answer is still the same. The neighbor, the colleague, the family member, the friend, and the enemy. That's why we are here. And he is calling us afresh, calling us afresh to live out his mission heart to the lost. We are more than a club for the forgiven. Get me here. We are more than a club for the forgiven. We are more than a club for the redeemed. And we are more than a club for the sanctified. We are God's mouthpiece to a lost and dying world. That's who we are right now, right at this moment in TWCF on Sunday. That's who we are. We are God's mouthpiece to a lost and dying world. In heaven right now, Jesus is just, I was going to say, sitting there with bated breath, with a worm on his tongue, waiting for his father to say, son, it's time to collect your bride. The church as a result, the gospel writer says, is hear what God says in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Today is the day to be saved. Say that with me. Today is the day to be saved. 
louder. Today is the day to be saved. When we go out tomorrow, even this afternoon, and we're walking the streets or we're going to work, keep that in mind that today is the day to be saved. Because I tell you, when you walk the streets, it will give you the impulse to share with somebody the life-giving message of the gospel. You know, I'm strange, um, but I'm an evangelist, so I guess all evangelists are pretty strange in one way or another. But I'll be on a train. Let me give you an instance. Let me give you an instance. When I was at the family camp in the south of France a while ago, Baudoir and I, who's my best friend, we were parked the car, and we were just walking down the road to go to the church. I wasn't ministering that day, but I was just there with them, and the young people and the older people were all ministering in this local church. And we were just walking down the road, and I just felt that little impulse in my spirit. Maybe you felt it yourself. You get that little tug. You get that little pressing of the finger, you know, that little impression in the mind that you just feel you just can't avoid. And there was just a guy sat there, minding his own business for a minute anyway. (laughs) And he was just sat there, rolling a cigarette as I walked close to him. And God spoke to me and said, go and tell that man about Jesus. Remember, I don't speak French. And so we went down. I said, Baudoir, I need to talk to this guy. All right, because he knows me. And we spent maybe 10 minutes chatting to him. He was a Muslim, it turned out. And whilst he didn't give his life to Christ, the last thing he expected was at that moment to be told the message of the gospel. Now, when you go out this afternoon or tomorrow, just expect the same. A few years back, I was driving down to church, come along after Pembury Bypass. And just as I was driving along, God shared something in my heart about a guy who stood at the bus stop with a rucksack. And he said, go and tell him this. And I thought, oh, no, I've had it happen before. And I thought, oh, no, Lord, not again. I don't want to go and look like a complete nutter yet again. But, of course, you do what you're told, don't you? Or do you? And I pulled up just in front of the bus stop and opened the window and said, excuse me, can I have a chat with you for a moment? And he looked at me sort of aghast. Who is this guy? And I I have a normal gambit. I started off saying, look, I'm not a nutter. This is who I am, etc. It just helps me. We all get our own way of doing things. And I shared with him what God had told me. And that very morning, he was training to be a doctor. That very morning, he had been praying and seeking God over the very things that I shared with him. And he was a backslidden Christian. His wife had left him and gone back to London with the family. And I said, look, you know, if you want, you can come to church with me. Or I'll give you a lift home, but you've got to come to church first because that's where I'm on the route to. And he said, yeah, okay, okay. And then he shared his story in the car with me. And for a number of months afterwards, he came along here. His family got reunited with him. He passed his exams. I don't know what's happened to him now. But you see, God is calling us to go. Calling us to go. And we need to respond to what he says. 
Jesus, when he viewed the world, he did so with compassion, yes. He did and does so with grace. His hand is outstretched then as it is now. But the unpalatable truth is that equally he saw people then and now as a harvest-facing judgment. Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Now that really is hard hitting. When I read it, and I've read it many times as I've thought about this message over the recent weeks, it really hits very hard at who and what we are. You see, we hear very little of that now in our day and generation. It's unpalatable. It doesn't sit right. It becomes like sour cream on a trifle. You love the trifle, but you don't like the sour cream. And so we've grown up as a generation who like to have sweet cream rather than sour cream in our lives when we're walking with faith. It's like having cataracts. Has anybody ever had a cataract? I don't mean you've been torturing your pussy at home. <laughs> yeah, ever had a cataract? How many? Oh, a good number of you. Okay, well, you know what it's like. You get a mistiness of eyes coming, don't you, until eventually... If you left it, you wouldn't be able to see. And the only way to cure it, I think, is to have a new lens. And then you have a new vision. Well, God, by the Holy Spirit, is calling his church to have the cataracts removed and to have a new lens implanted so they have a new vision. You see, we're either active in gospel mission or we are merely busy in the church. Only you can answer that. You could be extremely busy in the church, but not active in gospel mission. My time has nearly gone. The mission, still incomplete, spurs every Christian either to send or go, either to hold the ropes for others or cross boundaries and cultures for the sake of Christ's name. Yeah, mission and evangelism are scary words for many Christians today. Whether it's because we feel rejection, feel unqualified, are uncomfortable with making the truth known. Over the years, I've heard plenty of excuses why some don't verbally speak the gospel to others. They say, postmoderns don't respond to propositional assertions. That's a long one. But it's been said and I won't explain it all to you. Or they say, that's not my style. Or, shock horror, if I really live it, at some point, they're going to ask me what I believe. And so they keep themselves, you know, like a light under a bushel. I'm amazed that sometimes when I, I think of grandparents, how many of you are grandparents here? Ah, oh, it shows the age of the congregation. When you think of grandparents, 
they will enthusiastically speak of a grandchild, won't they? Am I not right? You love to talk about your grandchildren, you know? And you will talk to every Tom, Dick and Harry, Jane, Carol or Mildred about the grandchildren and you'll talk and you'll talk and you'll talk until eyes glaze over and brains become dead. Am I exaggerating here? <laughs> well, for one, I'm not. <laughs> or rather, for one, I am, but for many, I'm not. We talk about the things we love. We speak of our favorite film, football team, grandchildren, favorite X Factor or come dancing contestant. We do so without requiring expert knowledge, the gift of the gab, earning the right to speak. No, we just do it, don't we? So it's very interesting that Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You think you can't speak. Noah was a drunk. Leah was ugly. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. Paul was too religious. Lazarus, well, he was dead. That's a challenge for him to evangelize. We've all got reasons why we can't, but let's find reasons why we can. Maybe the band can come back and sing that song. Because I said I was going to challenge you, and I am. Because what's the point of me bringing you this word about a hallmark of mission and evangelism? And I'm sorry I've gone over time. Um, it's your time I'm using. I hope you haven't been bored. Have you? Good. I hope you've understood what I've been saying. Have you? Excellent. But the challenge is, what are we going to do about it? You see, here I am, send me, is what Isaiah said. And I'm, as the band quietly play this song I gave them to learn, I'm going to stand down here on this lower level. And for me as an evangelist, I'm going to recommit my life to the work of mission, to the work of evangelism, to the work of sharing his mission for the world. That's my dedication to Christ this morning afresh as I get onto the altar of God as a living sacrifice for him. And as they play this song, if you want to share in that commitment and that commissioning by God, you want to take on board today a new impetus to share the gospel and to be fruitful in your work of sharing and witnessing and fulfilling his mission, then you come and join me here as the band plays. And we will pray together, and then I'm going to vanish to Southside to share with them the same message, and then you can be praying for one another, recommissioning one another to the work of mission and evangelism and fulfilling the mission of God. So as